Salam, thank you for joining us. And today we have a very special guest with us. And he's, he can introduce himself shortly, but I, I came across him when I was reading an article on coffee houses in Isfahan. And as you guys know, I'm a student of history of coffee and I've been researching coffee houses in Europe for a while. And in my journey to understanding coffee spread throughout the world, I came across this paper on architecture and coffee houses in Isfahan. So today with, we have with us, um, and why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, uh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to talk to you. My name is Farshid Imami. Uh, I'm a professor of Islamic art and architecture at Rice University in Houston, USA. Uh, I have a PhD in history of art and architecture from Harvard University. Brilliant, thank you. And do you want to tell us why you wrote this paper? Because as far as people know, as far as I knew, coffee has normally been discussed in circles of Arabian life and Ottoman life, and then its entrance into Europe through through Austria, Vienna, Paris, into London. That space is known reasonably well. Coffee in Iran is something that I don't really make that association when I think of Iran. And as someone who's lived and traveled in Iran, tea is what I think about. So can you just give us some brief points into a why you wrote this paper and um, and then a brief history of how coffee would enter Iran or suffer with Iran? Sure. Uh, so, uh, yeah, everybody knows Iran as a tea drinking country, right? And so, but there was a period of time when coffee was the most popular drink, and that was in the 17th century in, during, during the Safavid period, um, when the Safavid dynasty ruled over Iran. Uh, so historians have studied the history of coffee, uh, and uh, which was uh, very important in this period, an important social drink. And, uh, but uh, one of the things that every, um, every tourist to Iran would notice that is that the, there's an institution, a kind of establishment that is known literally as a coffee house, but it's coffee is rarely served in coffee houses in the Gahvekhane, rather tea is served. But the name, you know, goes back to this period, the name of the institution establishment when coffee was really the major drink. So my own interest in the history of coffee and coffee houses, so I'm a historian of, historian of Islamic architecture. And so uh, I wanted to understand a coffee house and analyze it from a from an urban design perspective, from an architectural perspective, and also a social perspective. And I think bringing all these, you know, scholarly angles together leads to new insights into the phenomenon. So, and then, and then, and then oh, sorry, I just add another note, um, and it's, Really, I wanted to understand the history of coffee houses as part of a broader global history of uh, coffee houses. So I wanted to put it in dialogue with other experiences across the world in this period. Yeah. Okay. So before we go into the history of it, one thing that I, I really like about your research and work is your connection. Like you just said, it's a multifaceted approach into public spaces and architecture and how it comes in with, with coffee because you don't think about public spaces as an important element when you think about coffee, but it makes sense. It makes logical sense. And especially what would happen in these public spaces and how they were employed by, by the worlds and the cosmopolitan uh, elements and, and, the, and the common people. Because when we look at history of coffee in London, for example, and in France, it's often seen as a place where the rich and, and poor would meet, the powerful and the weak would meet. And you discuss news, 
politics and it's a place for dissent and and these are these are these are properties or these are these are experiences that were felt and that can be traced maybe a century before that into into Ottoman Istanbul and into suffer with Isfahan. So this is, we'll come to that shortly because I think that connection between architecture, public spaces and coffee is fascinating. So just before we jump into that, where did coffee start from and how did it end up in Iran? And why, you know, why was Isfahan a hotbed of coffee houses? Great question. So, um, I mean, as, is, as it is well known, coffee started in the Yemen. Uh, so uh, it was a new invention, entirely new novelty. So maybe it seems that coffee, coffee bean was known to early physicians, like medieval Muslim physicians, but the drink was a new invention. It was invented in the late 14th, 15th century in, uh, in, in the Yemen. And we know that it started in Sufi circles. So, uh, but which Sufi order, which particular Sufi sheikh, we're not sure. There are different narratives and they're sometimes contradictory. So it became common in these uh, Sufi uh, orders in that were native to the Yemen. And then okay. they really became interested in it as it's well known because of its because it's a stimulant. I mean, it could it would be very helpful for, you know, rituals, staying up and doing the zek, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, so, uh, this isn't so coffee think, that we know today, right? This isn't coffee like lattes and, and macchiatos. This is very strong, thick coffee, right? This isn't what people would think about when they see coffee today. Yeah, exactly. Like Turkish coffee, right? Yeah. Very thick and strong coffee. And then they also invented a series of rituals for consuming it. You know, the sheikh would, you know, uh, uh, pour coffee for the disciples before the beginning of the, you know, a, a, a Sufi ritual of Zekr. And, you know, uh, so it was very much integ- integrated into Sufi circles. And from there, we know that from the early 16th century, it uh, spread to Mecca. We have reports of its consumption in Mecca. And then a little bit later in Cairo. And we can, in these early sources, we clearly see that, you know, it's, being disseminated by, uh, by these uh, Sufi orders, by members of these Sufi orders. So that's the er- very early history of it. But then from the mid 16th century onward, it becomes, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, an, uh, a popular drink, you know, that is consumed because of its effect and its, yeah. uh, its novelty. So it becomes popular in Syria, in Damascus, Aleppo. We have reports of coffee houses from the mid uh, 16th century. And then a little bit later, uh, it uh, spreads to Istanbul. And Istanbul is the capital of the Ottoman Empire. And all these territories are now controlled by the Ottoman Empire. So, I mean, it becomes popular in Iran a little bit later. Like, um, so uh, if the beginning of the story of coffee and the coffee house uh, is in the mid 16th century in Istanbul, in Iran, it's about a half a century later. Uh, so the first reports of coffee and coffee houses that we have in Safavid sources are from the turn of the uh, 17th century. Okay. So, and, and just so people remember, I think the historical context. So at this time, the Ottomans and the Safavids were, they were enemies. They were fighting for territory. They were constantly in battle. And this is, this is what I find interesting is how, how this drink 
which was seen in quite suspicious terms as it was spreading even into Mecca, into Cairo, and there were occasions in which it was banned for its influence. How how did it make that journey from this land of the Ottomans where the Safavids would entrust them, but it became a thing? Is it Was it just an unstoppable force? It couldn't be stopped? If you tasted it, you loved it? Is this what happened with coffee? Yeah, exactly. That's how I see it. I mean, there are, yes, there are, you're right. There are these two empires, which are, you know, arch enemies of each other. But on the other hand, you know, these are not, you know, borders. You know, people are going back and forth and there are lots of cultural, economic exchange going on. And even despite the enmity between the two empires, trade was going on, like silk trade was going on through all through the 17th, 16th century because it was, you know, uh, it, I mean, it was a lucrative business for both empires. So they didn't want to really, okay. it, they had mixed feelings, but anyway, uh, trade was going on. So, and coffee was introduced uh, through those conduits. So, and also pilgrimage was another uh, channel for the introduction of coffee. So we have some of the reports from Mecca. So people from Iran going on the Hajj to Mecca and then, you know, being, experiencing coffee and then bringing it back. So in Safavid sources, it's very much associated with, uh, with the Arabs. So some of the early sources call it, you know, why the wine of the Arabs, you know, um, and, um, so what we have this very interesting report, uh, from a physician, Safavid physician around, uh, uh year, uh, 1600. Uh, so it's a treatise on, um, benefits and medicinal properties of coffee. And he talks about how it's, you know, entirely popular in Arabic, Arabic speaking regions and everyone is going there. But, and then he also says that it's gradually becoming popular in, in the Adam, meaning, I mean, in this context, meaning, you know, lands of Iran in, uh, in the or Safavid territories. Okay, okay. And Adam, for people listening, is this means non-Arabic speaking world, which is also seen as a derogatory term. I always find that interesting, the way the Ottomans and Arabs use that word. Okay, so it's entered, and, but this coffee wasn't alone, right? So with the Ottomans and Persians, you also see the influx and ensuring of um, architectural designs as well and, and languages. And... I, I'm always interested in Mokarnas too and how and where they were invented. But we won't go into that in too much detail. But okay. but you see, but you see, right, it's it's interesting because today when you when you look at the world, if you look at the Middle East and if you look at the way the Arab architecture is defined today, outside of the Mamluks, it's either Persian or it's the Egyptian Mamluk and you don't and there's clear lines of division of this is theirs, this is not ours. But back then these borders were very um um, flexible and they weren't set set in stone. So coffee came in like that into Persian. Okay, so let's let's move into Isfahan. So I've lived in Isfahan and I've seen I've seen most of Isfahan and I had trouble finding coffee when I was in Isfahan, except these new hipster cafes that have opened up and and this are you know this of Americanos. I always find that interesting buying an Americano in Isfahan and you can't find a Turkish coffee. However in Isfahan Alongside tea and coffee houses, like you said, uh, you still can't find coffee, but mostly it's Armenian coffee in Isfahan. And because of the influx of Armenian um, immigrants and, and, uh, and refugees who came in um, from, uh, from northwest Iran, I think during the Ottoman conquest, they came into Isfahan to seek refuge. So the Turkish coffee that I've only had, you, you would call Armenian coffee in Isfahan. 
So this is the closest I've had to 17th century Safavid coffee houses today. So what did Isfahan look like as the capital of the Safavid Empire in this period? And how did the coffee houses play a role in the public life spaces? Um, so if you just draw us a picture, that would be, that would be a good start. Uh, sure. Uh, so, uh, I mean, before before going into that, I just wanted to say I agree. I mean, with, I mean, the borders of, um, um, I mean, national borders of today do not correspond to the realities of historical realities of the Islamic world, which was, I mean, much more porous and fluid. And, and you know, coffee house is just an example of that. And one one other point I wanted to add about the history of coffee is that, and this is this shouldn't be natural. Coffee was from the beginning. Uh, drink that was in, that was consumed socially and uh, that's what's unique about it and then from these early reports we we learned that you know coffee was very much associated consumption of coffee was associated with a new establishment the coffee house so the coffee house as a physical space as an architectural space as an as, as an institution is very much into you know integral to the his, history of coffee okay going to this one so coffee is introduced and coffee and the coffee house and the commodity and the institution uh, are introduced around the turn of the 17th century this is a turning point in the safavid history this is a period when we see the rise of Shah Abbas, and Shah Abbas picks a new capital. The new capital is the city of Esfahan. So the former capitals of the Safavids were in Tabriz and Kasvin in north uh, west Iran. And then this is a, a period of, uh, you know, uh, flowering of uh, international uh, trade, and this is something that Shah Abbas and the Safavid state is in, interested in, and you know the coming of the Armenians, as you mentioned. So he's trying to create this cosmopolitan capital with all these public spaces. Uh, so Esfahan becomes this, you know, huge capital uh, city. is designed in this period in the decades spanning the turn of the 17th century. So uh, Coffee House, uh, during my research, I mean, uh, I really focused on the main coffee houses that were integrated into uh, main public spaces of, uh, of the city. And so the main, there are two major public urban spaces in Isfahan. One was this um, tree-lined avenue or the Chaharbag, um, which was a four kilometer long, 50 meter wide, tree-lined avenue that is stretched from a palace complex to a royal, suburban royal uh, garden. And there were coffee houses and also wine taverns bordering this uh, promenade. And the other urban space, it was the Maidan, the huge square that, uh, that, is, uh, that is on the border of the palace complex. And it also had uh, coffee houses. So I mean, the story of coffee house is very much in Iran, is very much intertwined with the history of Isfahan and the construction of Isfahan. And um, so it becomes a very, very uh, important part of social life, first in Isfahan, the Safavid capital, and the introduction of coffee and coffee houses coincides with this period of, you know, imperial expansion under Shah Abbas and, and also flowering of uh, trade and also um, um, it, it's a period of, you know, intensive architectural production and creation of a massive 
urban complexes in Isfahan, but also in other parts of the empire. Okay, so when you were looking at coffee houses and how they were used, one of the reasons that coffee houses took off, especially in the Ottoman territories in North Africa, Egypt, and the Hijaz, they also provided a big tax revenue. They could make money. It was a commercial commodity. Banning it was didn't make sense. You couldn't stop it. Did that have anything to do with Safawid's decision? Because if you look at wine, wine taverns and that being a place of meeting place, did coffee houses change that environment into a more flourishing, creative environment where you could do business, where you could talk seriously without having alcohol influencing your, if you like, your conversations? And this, in, in European Enlightenment, coffee is seen as one of the, um, the factors that triggered that influx of creativity where people stopped drinking for a short time and they started taking things seriously. Was this one of the reasons that Shabas and he would meet guests, he would meet local people, whoever they may be, not local, probably people with power and, and money. Was this one of the reasons that he wouldn't want to be seen in, say, in his own palace or a wine tavern, but in a coffee house? I guess it had that much status to be in a coffee house. I mean, this is, yeah, that's, uh, this is part of the kind of imperial persona that uh, Shah Abbas was creating for himself. And this has been studied by both art historians and historians. So the kind of imperial persona of the Safavid king was sort of uh, different from the imperial persona of the Ottoman Sultan. So Ottoman image of authority was very much based on the seclusion of the Sultan and the hidden gaze. So if you go to the Tokapi palace, you know, there are all these windows where, you know, the Sultan would be hidden, but, you know, the hidden gaze of, of the Sultan is very central to the architecture of Ottoman, uh, Ottoman palaces. I mean, Safavid yeah. Isfahan is uni really designed for the opposite idea. It's, very much based on the visibility and accessibility of the king. Uh, so, and this, I mean, we can go into the roots and it's very debated. Part of it has to do, uh, part of it is probably personal persona personality of the king, but also, you know, Shiism plays a factor, um, um, sort of the claims of the Safavids to be, you know, accessible deputies of the Shia Imams. And there are many factors and we can discuss them separately, but coffee houses and the way, you know, Chahapas goes and visits them is just part of the way in which the city was designed and his own, uh, the kind of imperial persona that he wanted to project to the populace as, as a very, very humble king who is, you know, very accessible and goes into these public spaces. and. Uh, so, uh, I mean, this is, you know, repeatedly uh, um, um, mentioned in the sources, European sources, that, you know, the Shah would be very, the Shah is very intimate. I mean, he's uh, very, uh, you know, he personally serves uh, foods and drinks to his guests. So that's, that's part of how he styles himself as a ruler. Um, so what I realized in my research that coffee houses were very, very much central to that, you know, to the creation of that imperial image uh, for uh, um, that Chabas was trying to create. I hope this answers your yeah, question. Yeah, no, it does, it does. It's interesting. And one thing, just step back a second, at the beginning of the conversation on, on the introduction, you mentioned it was a social um, purpose. To drink was social. It began as a religious one, but it became a social space. What I find absolutely fascinating is until the introduction of coffee, there was no such place in Islamic societies. He wasn't, he wasn't around. 
So for a period of, if you look at the introduction of Islam from the Hijaz, right? So you're looking at almost 500 years, 600 years, where there was no excuse to meet people outside the house or a madrasa or a khanka, whatever it was, to have coffee and tea. You couldn't leave the house and say, I'm just going to go meet so-and-so for coffee. There was no tea either. So this, this really introduced a new realm in public space and use. So how did this change? other than the obvious, other than basically coffee houses popped up everywhere. Did this change the architecture as well of Isfahan or just general societies in the Islamic world? Is, is that something you can comment on? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, it's, it's definitely entirely new. Such, such a social space didn't exist in Islamic societies. And, uh, you know, there were the public spaces of a typical Islamic city where, uh, you know, it's madrasas, mosques, khangas, but... To have this kind of public space that is neither religious nor domestic space. So you would have assemblies at the homes of people or the mosque. So this is a new kind of, this is an in-between space that didn't exist before. So that's for sure. And then, as you mentioned before, the effect of coffee should be considered. Coffee is a stimulant. It's different from a wine tavern. So people are alert. So the type of conversation that you're going to have is the coffee houses, you know, essentially different from, from a tavern. And that doesn't have, that's, you know, something human, universal, uh, regardless of whether it's a European context or a Chinese context or a, or a Islamic context or a Iranian, Arab, Turkish, whatever context, Islamic context, it's the effect of it. And we see that in the sources that people are having, you know, that they talk about politics, they talk about tax, and then this is very much reflected in the sources that we can speak of a an atmosphere of free conversation in coffee houses of and and also in coffee houses of Istanbul. So these are places of dissent and uh, and, a, and a kind of quasi quote unquote uh, subversive culture. So did the did the King Shahabas did he ever try to ban coffee the way the Ottomans or some Mamluks did? He did. I mean, all of these were controversial. I mean, it's, you know, like totalitarian states all over the world today who are sometimes, you know, want to be autocrats who are excited about a new technology and a new, uh, and then, oh, okay, well, okay. I mean, uh, if I want to put it in simple words, and it's just a very simple uh, narrative, I mean, there's a king who says, oh, there's this quite uh, novel, exciting uh, phenomenon, coffee house. Let's put it everywhere in the city. And then you put it there and people go there and people talk about politics and taxes. And then, you know, you don't like it. You want to control the public sphere. So we have this narrative of, uh, you know, just there were periodic bans of, you know, all these these new new materials of tobacco, coffee. There were, you know, there were periodic bans on them. But there is this interesting narrative about a about a cleric. Uh, so Shah Abbas would send a cleric to the coffee houses, and the cleric would go and preach the you know the uh, people there. And uh, and at certain time he would say you know stop talking, go to work. <laughs> you know. So there was there were some. I feel like we need this today. I feel like people spend way too much time in coffee houses today. <laughs> Someone needs to go and say, yes, yeah, stop talking. Go get and be free. <laughs> yeah. and go get, and exactly. go get a job. Okay. That's, that's really fascinating. Um, and what did the, what did the, what was the relationship between the taverns, the wine houses and the coffee houses? Did people 
get drunk and then go to a coffee house to sober up? I've read this somewhere. Or was it you, you liked one, but you hated the other? Because I also read you, people wouldn't, people refuse coffee saying they cannot replace wine houses. So how did these two coexist in this very open Safavid environment? Because you wouldn't get this openly in uh, the Ottoman territories, but the Safavids allowed this to an extent. So what was the relationship between the wine house and the coffee house? So it was, I mean, it was relatively open. It was not, I mean, um, it's, uh, I mean, uh, there's an Islamic ban on intoxicating drinks, so, and wine, and Safavids were Muslim. So it was not something that you can, you know, there's a little bit of flexibility, but not much. It cannot be, it, it was never something that is, you know, uh, completely allowed. It was relatively tolerated compared to Ottoman territories in Safavid and in different, in, in, and there were also bans on wine power. And so there were periods where, where in which it was allowed. And it seems that in, in the period of Shah Abbas in the early 17th century, wine taverns did exist. And um, there was an imperial wine tavern under Charbak, the tree-lined avenue that was, uh, you know, that was built adjacent to a coffee house. So what, what, what we need to keep in mind about when we're thinking about the city of Esfahan, I mean, there are different estimates, but it's a city of around half a million population. So we are, taking, we are really talking about a cosmopolitan, diverse group of people. There are revelers who would go and drink, get intoxicated, and then go to the coffee house to get sober. And there are definitely people, but there are other people who go just to coffee houses and you know, associate coffee with kind of erudition and knowledge and, and sort of poetic conversation. So it's a very kind of mixed landscape. Um, there is no yeah. typical Esfahani people there. You know, and this is something that I became, that I'm currently becoming more interested in is that, you know, conceptions of individuality and how people define this, define the self for themselves. Uh, in these spaces and how the new urban context, social context of Islam allowed for a range of subjectivities, selfhoods, you know, people, there were, uh, there was a range of identities and uh, there was no, uh, and then uh, the availability of all these institutions, public spaces, materials allowed people to pick and choose and, you know, uh, a different, uh, different social behaviors, different selves, right? Yeah, that's a really interesting topic on its own. And and you're right, when you're looking at Isfahan at that era, you're looking at one of the capitals of the world. It wasn't Isfahan the way we know it today. Isfahan was in line in equal terms with Istanbul, with Damascus, with Cairo. And at this time Europe Europe was still sleeping. They were there was well they had just woken up from their long, long sleep. So their renaissance hasn't kicked in yet. So at this time, Isfahan really was the place to be for learning and education. And at this time, you have to remember, you have you have scientific observatories opening in Isfahan. You have Shah Abbas building the Shah Mosque in uh, Naqsha Jahan. If you've been to Isfahan, it's probably the, the most beautiful mosque in, um, in Isfahan and maybe in some ways in Iran. So the artistic value and the creativity and the ingenuity of Isfahan is was world-renowned. And Isfahanis, I think, were also traveling all the way to China even to train the Chinese dynasties on, on their architecture and their own discoveries. And of course, they were going west to the Ottoman territories too. So coffee, so wine houses aside, which was just a side note, coffee houses really, really played into this idea of social spaces, design, 
knowledge gathering and sharing and it was the place to be it's 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 nothing like that today but it's it's interesting when you go and you see um Jahar Bagh and and Akshay Jahan because now if you've been to Isfahan recently Jahar Bagh um had recently when i was there a year ago they were redoing the entire road and they had ripped the entire and and i stood there every time i would go i would always wonder that nobody was interested in in the preservation of this this particular avenue with so much history and just by Jahar Bagh Madrasa which is which is one of my favorite buildings in Isfahan now you have this fast food restaurants and you have pizza places and you have you know clothing shops and toy shops it just doesn't sound like the the Isfahan that you were studying that you've written about and so in your paper which I'll reference in the in the notes to this episode you can see a map of it you can see what the european saw when they went to Isfahan and Chaharbag at that time it was something like the promenades of paris you know it was the it was it was bustling and it was beautiful and shame the same thing in Naksha Jahan because if you go to Naksha Jahan today it's nothing like that now you just have some um some souvenir shops essentially everything is a souvenir shop now right selling mm-hmm. metal work and stuff which is beautiful but it doesn't have that life it doesn't have the breathing city life anymore that i can imagine coffee houses gave space to uh but now now tea even tea now it's becoming not as popular i think amongst the young i think they moved moved onwards however back into coffee but these coffee houses are now european coffee houses these are not the coffee houses right. we recognize now um which is an interesting resurrection um it's it's okay coffee is coffee it doesn't matter what the form looks like it's good to see coffee houses popping up next to carpet shops and um and uh, and and places of art so that's a that's a beautiful resurrection in my opinion okay i think i think that covers it except just one final thing you've you've also referenced architecture can you tell us something quickly about what a coffee house or coffee houses played into the architecture space or was it just incidental or there wasn't really wasn't a direct link or was there a direct link uh i mean the architecture i mean both urban configuration and architecture of coffee houses played a role so the architecture of coffee houses had these kind of theatrical safavid coffee houses theatrical uh, uh architecture layout it means that you know there were performances there were storytellers and other entertainers who were you know so it was really a city theater and it's uh, europeans who visited isfahan in the 17th century compared the coffee houses to uh to theaters they they looked like our theaters and that's very much that performative character is very uh, much into it but more than that is you know this was a new type of public space in the in in that it was very accessible and permeable it was very much integrated into the surrounding urban spaces so this is social space it's not it's not an isolated okay uh, building but uh an open usually there are multiple uh, entrances like the in the maidan and akshar jahan the grand square of isfahan the coffee houses were accessible from multiple sides it were and there were very open spaces where people could go through them and then in terms of like more specific architecture there were uh platforms where people would uh, be seated there were no chairs or tables right and then um and then this kind of you know central plan where you have a central open space usually with a fountain and the other aspect of it that is not very much uh, 
visible today is their um, nighttime appearance. So nightlife in Isfahan really changed after the introduction of coffee. And coffee is a stimulant. It helps you wake, stay, stay up, right? And then it's, uh, and people would be, I mean, there are reports of coffee houses of Isfahan where people would, you know, uh, they were active, uh, you know, at nighttime. And nightlife in the city owed much to, and not just in Isfahan, everywhere, that's very much uh, uh, associated with, with the institution of uh, expanding the uh, nightlife in the city. Was, were coffee houses also open to women, or was it just a, a, mostly a, a masculine, manly institution? I mean, like other, I mean, it's mostly men. I mean, it's male-dominated spaces, as it was in England and other places until very, you know, recent time, and until 20th century, I would say. Uh, so, um, yeah, but, I mean, they have this very interesting report of uh, uh, women going to the Chaharbak, the tree-lined avenue, weekly, and, uh, and that's very interesting. So it, it's not mentioned in the sources, but we can imagine that the coffee houses of, of the Chaharbak were also used by women. So these are, you know, interesting little examples of, you know, even, you know, uh, an expansion in the uh, presence of women in the public spaces. And we can definitely speak to that. We, we speak of that and we can link it to the new institution, the new urban spaces okay. of the city. And did these coffee houses, did they then spread throughout the Safavid Empire? Did they go into the other larger cities of, of Persia at the time? They did. I mean, we have reports of, you know, coffee houses being established in uh, in different cities along the main squares of the city. So, and then they became, they quickly became uh, the main, uh, you know, uh, sites of literary circles in uh, in these cities. So there were some in Mashhad, the great pilgrimage city, and there were uh, others in other uh, in, in cities. And, and also they were incorporated into caravansarais, the, the inns, the roadside inns, were also equipped with coffee houses. So, yeah, the institution coffee, Gava became an important thing and it still exists. Although coffee was, I mean, from the uh, early 19th century, it became, you know, an institution that serves uh, uh, tea, not coffee, but the name stuck. So the name... What happened? The, the, Why did coffee disappear? Because it was very much uh, uh, connected to uh, trade routes and then the trade routes were disrupted. So the Safavid dynasty effectively failed in seven, fell in 1722. And this was 18th century was a period of civil war and you know, economic decline, material decline in, in Iran. And uh, when in the 19th century, you know, there was a sort of, with the establishment of the Qajar dynasty, there was a sort of uh, period of, um, political stability and then uh, the, all the trade routes and all the Safavid culture had been so sort of interrupted and, and then the, the institution the name of the institution remained but tea became the, uh, the main drink and it was cultivated in Iran a little bit later in the 19th century and then that's interesting that's really interesting and I don't know if you know the answer to this maybe you do why did coffee not spread uh, further east from Persian territory was there a reason or just for example the mughal territory coffee didn't really take off do you know why um i mean this is a this is a period in which you know the um i don't want to use the um 
Now, we can speak of, you know, a relative, not, not cultural decline, but, you know, economic decline, because, I mean, the world economy is changing. And all these three empires, the Ottomans, the Safavids, and Mughals, are gradually going through, a, from the beginning of the 18th century, going through a period of economic decline. Um, that, that's it. So when it became popular in Iran, it, it has spread a little bit to Mughal territory. So we have reports. We have, there's one report of, you know, in Shah Jahanabad in Delhi, and that there were uh, there were coffee houses on the main avenue of the city. There's one report. So it was, it never became as popular, but it it was it, be, it we have there are some uh, hints in the sources that it was you know a little bit uh, known in in literary okay. circles. Yeah, you in did, the capital. Go there. It's interesting because I I opened up this question to uh, my followers on Instagram and I said why what do you call coffee in in South Asia far well in Southeast Asia. And uh, the word kahwa doesn't mean coffee. It typically means tea or green tea or black tea. Or there's, there's at least 10 different meanings and none of them mean coffee. And uh, which is interesting because kahwa or a variety of uh, kahwe or however you pronounce it in Turkey and in the Middle East, it just means coffee. So it did take off, but it didn't flourish. And interestingly, like you mentioned, the decline of the Mughals, the Persian and the Ottomans with coffee, was at the time when the European powers were rising. So really there was a switch of global dominance between, the, I guess, the inverse relationship between coffee taking off and the, uh, and the, and the, and the large Muslim empire of the dynasties declining. And then coffee became a European drink. And as today, most people think coffee came from Italy and it's an Italian drink. And in your paper, I even read a brief note about how some certain Orientalists are revising history to say coffee was present even before Islam came into being and it's an old drink. It didn't start really in the history that we think it started in, which which is which is which is something I see often, revisionism happening. Um, but that's but that's that's where we are today. So coffee took off and did into Iran. It flourished and uh, and then it died as quickly as it took off. But we do you know if there's any coffee houses left in Isfahan? Do you know? Of uh, uh, from the I mean so from the one of the yeah, just even I mean, south of it. I mean, so there is a coffee house. There's a um, there's a, a branch of bank, Bankimeli Bank National Bank, right? Yeah. It's uh, I don't know if it's still there, but I think it is. So this is a structure that I discuss in the paper. Uh, so it's incorporated into the madrasa, Shah Sultan Hussein Madrasa, but it it functioned as a coffee house through I think mid twentieth century when it was converted to a bank. So <laughs> if you go there and um, you can see, you know, the architecture of a 17th century coffee house uh, of Esfahan, it's very much well-preserved. It's a two-story structure that I, that I describe in the paper in, the, in my article. And if you go there, if you ask the um, manager of the, uh, of the branch of the bank, you, they might allow you to see some of the... Um, poems that, you know, these are old uh, um, poems that were written on the walls, and these no, are Safavid, yeah. Some of them are preserved, which sort of gives you a sense of the milieu of the coffee house as a site of literary circles. That's beautiful. Okay, I think next time I go, um, I'll send you a picture. I'll try and go in and see if I can get access to it. Okay, thank you so much for your time. This was, this was really enlightening. I, I had no idea, and I think most people did not know about this. So we look forward to any more work you do on this topic, and inshallah, 
we can talk in the future on, on a different topic about art or architecture, whatever it is that you're working on. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Pleasure talking to you.